welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. We're going to be starting a, a, a new series in a couple of weeks, um, and uh, we are calling it Fivefold Family. And really, we're going to take the church, our community, on a journey around the fivefold ministry and what it means. Um, we call it Apest, not Apest, but Apest, Apostle. That was a pastor joke right there. Come on. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, because you couldn't do pastor because it doesn't sound as good. Um, shepherd and teacher. And I suppose we want to take some time in unpacking each one of those gifts to the church, uh, according to Ephesians chapter 4, um, and understand that God, Jesus, released these gifts into the body. And so we uh, want to spend some time uh, talking about all those different gifts, so we're going to dedicate a, a different week to different gifts. And I certainly don't want you to think, well, I'm evangelistic, so I'm just going to come on the evangelistic week. I want you to begin to realise, and one of, the, one of the mentalities that we do want to shift is that Jesus was the, the fullness of each spiritual gift. So he wasn't 20% prophet, 20% apostle, 20%. He was 100% apostle, 100% shepherd, and we see this through his ministry and through his life, how incredibly impact, impacting, goes without saying, Jesus was. And so to be like Jesus and to grow into being like Jesus is to acknowledge that we've got to grow in these apes gifts. Now, in the Pentecostal tradition that I've come from, we've put the offices, we've spoken a lot about the office, okay, so the what we call the office of the apostle, the office of the prophet. And we haven't spoken much about how the, the gift or the, um, yeah, the gift to, in the body of Christ of the fivefold apest is found in each and every one of us and how that we all have something that God's wanting to do in us because he's wanting to move through us to bring the gospel to the world, Amen. And so this is kind of like a prequel. This is like the story of origin. You know, have you ever watched some Marvel movies? Anyone just give me a wave? Pray for you later, it's all good. Noted those hands. Um, but with the Marvel movies, sometimes they bring them out and then they introduce a character, but then they go back and they release another movie and it's kind of like, Spider-Man's origin story or whatever. And so today what I want to do is I want to spend some time before we get to this series on the fivefold, fivefold family. And I want to set up some important groundwork for that. I've got a lot to say. I want to teach today. I'm not going to yell and holler and do that whole thing that I like to do as much. Maybe for you, Craig, a little bit, but um, you need it. Um, and so I want to spend some time just really laying a foundation of what we believe, uh, of what we believe about the church. So, if you got your Bibles, you can start heading to Matthew chapter sixteen. That's going to be our text for this morning. 
and uh, we're going to spend some time. You ready for a bit of a history listen lesson? You ready for that? You ready to go go to school this morning? That was convincing. <clears throat> I want to be clear that I am an absolute advocate for a move of God. I want to be clear. I want you to understand the heart of this church as a Pentecostal church is to pursue the things of the Spirit like we never have before. I want to be clear that without a divine intervention of fairly significant proportions, the only type of intervention that this world needs to have a course correction is one from God. Us having good services and being nice Christians and being happy, clappy people that attend a building on Sundays is not going to be good enough. It is not good enough. We've seen it over the last 20, 30 years of church. We've seen pockets of God doing something and transforming things and doing work in our community but what our world needs is a full-blown reformation of the church and transformation of the world. Can I hear an amen? amen? I want you to hear our heart that we are for the things of the Spirit. In fact, I believe and I want to prophetically declare it over us as a church family, God's taking us to a deeper place even right now in this season. Worship is blowing out. There's a hunger for the Word growing that I've noticed like we've never seen before. There's a desire to be engaged, not just in Sunday church life, but there's a genuine question and wrestle rising up inside of people uh, that, that is asking God, what is the purpose of my life? What am I doing? How can you use me in my everyday? How can you use me on my Monday, not just in the service on a Sunday? And so I want to be clear that we, we are an advocate. We are going 100% for God's, the Spirit of God to move. But I also, as a disclaimer, want to be very clear that we are not, um, excuse the terminology, hell-bent on that being. We are not so addicted to religion that we need that to happen only when we gather on a Sunday morning. In fact, I believe that the move of God that's gonna sweep the earth is when the church grab hold of their true identity in who they are and start moving in miracles, signs and wonders, not in a building, but out in the streets, in the community. And I echo the sentiment of Bonhoeffer that the world is out discipling the church and that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. When I made a personal life-altering decision at the age of 15 to abandon the world and to radically follow Jesus, I can vividly remember, even to the point of hearing the prayers of the church at that time, Lord, send revival. How many have been in church long enough to know that's that? We had, we've had prayer meetings for revival. We've had revivals, all good. We want revival Leonard Ravenhill eloquently asked, why does revival tarry? Where is it? Why isn't it here? And as a result, I studied church history. 
I spent countless of dollars and resources. Alicia can can, te- uh, can uh, uh, agree. I, I had um I had all these life teachings as a young person. I didn't really know how to preach. I didn't have someone teaching me how to preach. So I just went to Smith Wigglesworth Life's teachings. And I just, the first sermon in there, I can remember it. It was a sermon that he preached called What Wilt Thou Have Me To Do? And that was one of my, did you hear that? <laughs> what wilt thou haffeth me to do? And I preached that to a bunch of kids. Come on, somebody. Talk about being culturally relevant. Share la bolsa. Um, it was powerful. But in this desire to be used by God, in the desire to follow the footsteps of people, that experience God's presence in such a way. I remember downloading, or not downloading, the internet didn't exist. Hello, come on somebody. I remember somehow getting a copy of VHS. All right, write that down young people, Google it later on. All right, do you Google anymore? I don't know, ask ChatGPT, he'll tell you what's up. Um, I remember getting a VHS, a VHS of Brownsville Revival and putting that Brownsville Revival VHS in my video. It was wonky. The praise and worship was like at times, but it was powerful. It was incredible. I remember encountering the Holy Spirit's presence with a friend of mine. We, We just sat down to have dinner and we prayed and we were praying over the food and the glory of God just hit us and we didn't eat a bite of it. I'm all for the presence of God. But friend, we've got to shift our mentality and understand that we can have the most powerful moments in here. But if they do not change us in the magnitude that then in turn changes our world, I would like to suggest very boldly and provocatively this morning that maybe you've had a religious experience but maybe you've never really experienced the power of the Holy Ghost. (laughs) You're quiet up in here. Might need to turn my microphone back up, Erwin. The church. And so what I'm saying is, is the problem that is when you go for revival, you get religion. When you go for revival, you try to organise more services because that's our context. When you go for revival, you get works. But when you go for Jesus, you not only get revival of some sorts, more importantly, you get healed hearts. You get whole marriages. When you go for Jesus, you get everything that you thought you wanted when you were crying out for revival. When you, go for, when you go for revival, you get an expression of what you think God wants to do. But when you go for Jesus with an open heart, you get a kid that gets set free from that addiction they've been struggling with because revival can't do that, but Jesus can. When you go for, when you go for Jesus, you get transformed hearts, but you also get transformed cities. When you go for Jesus, when we as a community go for Jesus, you and I, you know what we get? We get transformed in such a way that we then in turn go and transform our world. And so we must continue to focus on Him. And I wanna reiterate, I'm not against a revival. I'm, I'm praying for it. I'm believing for it. But I'm more, I'm not believing for the Pentecostal traditional version of it. I'm believing 
for the soul of a man and a woman to be so touched by the presence of God that they become a walking church service. Are you leaning into this this morning? Let's get to work. Where where do we start here? So let's start with a question. You've heard some of these thoughts before. I did it two years ago online, but it's important for us today. Let's ask some really important questions. You might wanna write these down. With that understanding of um, with that understanding of revival as a backdrop, I wanna now talk about the church. Because the New Testament church, they didn't talk about revival because they didn't need to because they were living it. It's not that they weren't experiencing it, it's just that they were, they, they were living out revival. And as the body of Christ, they were walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And so with that as the backdrop, I wanna ask some of these questions. And I wanna dig down, I wanna provoke you to be thinking about the church and about who you are and how it applies, not to us corporately, but how it applies to you individually. Let's go to work. Number one, well, not number one. What is the church? What is the church? How do we define it? What what is its identity? We have language cues that help us make sense of what we actually believe the church is. So these, some of these language cues are things like, where do you go to church? Are you with me? We say things like, what church do you attend? Do you wanna come to my church? Are you with me? Well, uh, are you going to church today? I left my last church because dot, dot, dot. I gave to the building or the vision offering to build our church building. (laughs) You can see how this is, right? All this language points to the fact that largely as a society, and this is a generalisation, we believe that the word church, our definition of the word church is wrapped up in the idea that the church is a place, that it's a building, that perhaps it's a building that we go to. And so my question in turn to that, is the church a steeple or is it people? Is it a building or is it people? And so the question is at the heart of this message is, are we co-labouring with Jesus to build what He had in mind when He called us the church. What is the church? Let's read this text, Matthew chapter 16. I promise I'm gonna race through this as fast as I can. It's on the screen for your convenience this morning and it reads like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what do you say? But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Excuse me, but by my Father in heaven, And I will tell you that you are Peter 
and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to not, that, uh, to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Everyone say that word, say church. Say it one more time, say church. I will build my church. Now I wanna dig into the context and to the concept of what this word church is. It's really important that we understand how our thinking has arrived at where we're at in regards to the church. It's also really important for us to continue to question how we got where, how we got to where we are and what were the influences around that. And so this is this really bad PowerPoint presentation that I've prepared, I'm not joking either, to help us break down what this idea of the word church is. The word church here that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 16 is the word ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you wanna say it and what side of the city you come from, it's up to you, you choose. I go with both, I just mix it up a little bit to keep people guessing. The ecclesia, the ecclesia, the literal translation, if you, go to the, if you go into the Strongs or you go into a concordance or you're trying to read it in the Greek, Greek, you'll literally see that word, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia or ecclesia. And so what does this mean? Let's break this down. And how did we get from the word ecclesia to this word church? And what is the impact for us today as we wrestle with the idea that church is not a place that we go to, but church is an identity that we personify, that we are. Grace, if you wouldn't mind putting that next thing up. Church. So where we get our word church, can you read that? Hopefully. Where we get our word church from our English word is we see this first, first word here, kiriakon doma. Okay, Kyriakon comes from a, a German word that was transliterated into the word, I know we're going deep, I use the word transliterated. That is transliterated from uh, the word Kyriakon. Uh, the Germans used to say it like Kirk. And so that's where phonetically we got the word church, okay? That's how it arrived in our English language, the sound, the words church. Kyriakon simply means the Lord's. That's what it literally means. Kyriakon means the Lord's. That word doma is where we get the word dome or Dome, you know what I mean? Like a, a place that we gather in. And so the direct translation of the word Kyriakon Doma is the word the Lord's house. And so I'm trying to help you to see that the true language the Bible was written in was the Greek. Stick with me. We're going to go somewhere. Don't, get, don't switch off, okay? I know you're like, I'm, this is not school, but it is today, Okay. The, we've translated the word ecclesia in our Bibles as the word church, okay? And I'm offering you a question and a suggestion that maybe it should be interpreted or called something else. 
We get this word Kyriakon Doma, and that's where we get the word church from. It means the Lord's house. This word came up onto the scene for the first time in about 300 AD. So if you look at my little timeline here on the left, you'll see that you've got BC, let's just say before Christ, I know it doesn't mean that, and AD, after death, that's, that's how I learnt it anyway. Then you've got JC, he's in the middle. He's the one that split time. So Jesus' life happens where JC is. The New Testament, the, the, what we know as the New Testament, was written somewhere, depending on what and who you listen to, what authority you take, somewhere between 60 and 100 AD. Okay, so after Jesus' death, the church is birthed at, in the book of Acts chapter 2 and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, you know the story. And the New Testament, Paul and all these other cats, they're writing the gospel, they're doing all these sorts of things in somewhere between 60 to 100 AD. The word Kyriakon Doma, which is where we get our word church, which is then in the word that we use in the Bible for what Jesus said, only comes on the scene, it comes on the scene 200 years later. <laughs> 200 years later. Then we get this idea of ecclesia. The ecclesia quite literally means the called out ones, okay? If you zoom in there to that timeline, you'll see that this word ecclesia, and Jesus did this a lot. Jesus did this a lot, didn't he? Jesus did this a lot where he rode in on what was currently happening in the culture, hijacked it for kingdom purposes, and we've inherited it as if it's like just all Bible and Jesus invented it. And arguably, he's the creator. Nothing was created without him, but you know what I'm saying. So maybe you, we could argue that. I'm trying to help you to see that before Jesus even hit the planet as a man, ecclesia was already a concept that the world, that the disciples, that Jesus's audience would have been familiar with. Ecclesia originated from Athens, Greece. It's a political or governmental term. Ecclesia is actually a type of government, okay? And Greece was made up a whole lot of, uh, a whole bunch of kind of city-states, much like Australia. So federally, they had Australia, they had Greece or whatever it was called back then. But then they had these things called polis or polises, metropolis, you know what I mean? They had these different regions that were then under the rule of that kind of state government. And we experienced that, didn't we? Some of you know that our, a lot of our family are in Western Australia. And so when we're in the lockdowns, we're talking about homeschooling and lockdowns and all the rest of it. Meanwhile, we're having a conversation with our family in, in WA and they're just like, yeah, we're just down at the beach. We're just doing this and that. And so I'm trying to help you to understand that that's how the rule happened because they were under different state governments. These states were governed by what was called a... Uh, I always pronounce this incorrectly, but aristocracy. And it's the two words, aristos and kratos. And it simply means the rule of the best, the rule of the best. 
And this primarily happened through bloodline. That's why a king would have a son and wars were fought over all those sorts of things and he would rule and then he would rule and then he would rule. But each state had their own aristocracy and there were leaders. These leaders would often disagree. We're going somewhere, just stay with me. I know, I know. don't let this do this, okay? Stick with me. We're gonna land somewhere really good. And um, at times, if there was a stalemate, what they would do is they would release a person that, they, that had the title of tyrant. Everyone look at your neighbour and say, you're a tyrant. It's not a prophetic word. A tyrant back in those days, by the way, was not, did not have a bad connotation, okay? Not like my wife just rebuked me and said, don't say that. It's death and life in the power of the tongue. Um, but one tyrant in, in about 580 BC, he did something different, okay? Instead of what, what would happen is to sort it out, a, a ruler would delegate authority to a tyrant and that tyrant would be sent into a realm to uh, make decisions and to bring peace and to bring prosperity and to make decisions and to move things forward. And in about 580 BC, there's a story of a tyrant, instead of giving the power back to the aristocracy or the leader, he decided to give it to the people. He set it up where he said, you don't need them anymore. They're gonna complicate things. I'm gonna release the decision-making and the power to you. And this is the first time we see the word democracy, which is the word kratos and demos. Kratos meaning rule, demos meaning people. So democracy literally means the rule of the people. These People, I'm defining to you what happened, all right? I want you to see that these people then would gather, they were gathered 40 to 60 times a year at times and they would meet and they'd make decisions and they'd do all these uh, things to move their community forward and they had power. And guess what name this group of people were given? The Ecclesia. They were a governmental body designed to bring rule, designed to promote and initiate and move forward on the king's or whoever the leader's desire was. And so we see here today that when Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church, He wasn't saying Kyriakon Doma, He was saying the word Ecclesia. He wasn't saying my house shall be, uh, He wasn't saying that it's gonna be built on a building. Do you remember the message of, do you remember Jesus and some of the tension He had with the, with the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Because they had this thing in their head that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is gonna come in kind of the spirit of Kyriakon Doma, but he didn't, he came in the spirit of Ecclesia. So they're waiting for a military power, but Jesus is being led on a donkey to be crucified. This is the Jesus that we serve. Can we just go a little bit deeper? Is that all right? 
quite fascinating the scene of this story where Jesus chooses to release his revelation of who the church is to the disciples. It's in a place called Caesarea Philippi. I can't pronounce it. What am I doing? Um, but this region was the most northern region. I'm doing a lot of reading today because I just want to, I want to get through this. Region travelled by Jesus. It was named by Caesar and by Philip. And these were deified gods, essentially. They were gods of the day. This location is about a two-day walk and it sits at the bottom of Mount Hermon. And remember, you've got to remember, the disciples are young. Like they're late teenagers to kind of maybe early 20s is what most people believe. We know this partly because rabbis, uh, you were never older than your rabbi basically was a principle in Jewish thought back then. And also, we also know that Peter was quite young because, well, the disciples were quite young because remember the story when Peter was required to, to give taxes? You only gave taxes in those days when you were 22 years or older. And so the thought is, is that the reason why they weren't asked for tax money, but Peter was, is because potentially he was the only one over the age of 22. And so not only does Jesus go to this location, he takes a two-day journey to a place that's called the Gates of Hades. This was the most paganistic place in the Hellenistic world. It was the most demonic realm in Jesus' time. Pan was worshipped there as well, if you do some study of, of at least another 14 gods. Pan was half goat, he was half man. He was represented basically, um, he, was, he was a sex lust god essentially, just to put it out there for what it is. And it was, uh, it was, it was the gates of Hades was uh, a place where they thought was like a passageway through to the underworld spiritually and physically. And so it was as a Jewish person, you are never in your wildest dreams or imagines going anywhere near this place until along comes your rabbi Jesus and takes you on a long journey into places that religion has told you you should never go. Because religion always tells you to never go places, right? Because it doesn't really believe that God's power can transform it. And I believe, sorry, it was believed that Baal and demonic spirits entered through. This is this, you can do your own research and find this stuff out yourself, because I know this is kind of quite out there. That people entered in and out this spirit realm. In fact, if you look at an image on Google, if you look up this later on and you look for images, they actually thought, well, it actually looks like a, one of the rocks in this location literally looks like a mouth that's wide open yawning. Hades was the god of the underworld and his name means ruler of the dead. Think about it for a moment. I'm trying to help someone here today to understand that maybe you feel like you're on that journey. Maybe you feel like you're following the rabbi, you're following the teacher, you're following Jesus and you're like, this seems to be taking me to a place. I don't understand where this is going. 
And Jesus takes them to the deepest, darkest, most occultic, demonic region to give them and to give us two of the greatest New Testament revelations. He doesn't choose to do it in Jerusalem. He's choose to do it in a dark place. He doesn't choose to reveal himself when all the lights are on and everything's good and life's just like fantastic. Bless God, praise God, hallelujah. The coffee's free in church. It's all good, you know, I'm healthy, I'm well. No, sometimes God chooses times in our life to reveal parts of who He is when we are just wondering, we're wondering how we get out of this circumstance. But the truth is, is the Holy Spirit is gonna use that circumstance to display His glory in it because He's wanting to reveal something about Himself that He can only do in certain places if you allow Him to lead you. And the greatest question that that man had to answer in this time was this very personal one. Who do you say that I am? And standing, and some of you, I feel this prophetically right now, some of you are standing or you've stood You're standing in dark places. You've stood before, you stand before impossibilities. And the Lord is wanting to reveal to you who He is so that you can truly begin to discover who you are. The preacher in me this morning wants to rise up. I don't have time, but the preacher in me wants to rise up and just shout a little bit over someone this morning and prophesy because I need to let you know today that the darkness that you're experiencing, God's voice can still be heard in that moment. I wanna let you know that cloud of depression, that cloud of oppression that you might be experiencing, God is still in the midst of that. Do not let your religious thinking lie to you and tell you that God's far away. God is not far away from you. In fact, He he is nearer than you think if you are a believer in who He is. He is actually on the inside of you, waiting to be revealed in that dark place and reveal the glory of His light. God is wanting to move through you. And so, five more minutes, done, deal, thank you. And so we see this, we see now the church coming back to the church, right? I want you to see that. I want you to see where Jesus did it. Jesus didn't do it in Jerusalem. He didn't reveal that it would have been, it would have been um, problematic if Jesus did it in Jerusalem because they would have been thinking, awesome, we're in Jerusalem. This is how we do things anyway. Jesus is trying to break a pattern of thinking in them that thought the church or being spiritual or being godly was all the things that we do for Him rather than understanding that I'm gonna reveal who I am and I'm gonna reveal who you are Remember, the church is not a place. The church is a person. It is you. It is me. That word ecclesia is literally, it means this is what the tyrant did. He called out a group of people to lead. He called out a group of people to gather and be the government in that space. And so this is what I believe God is calling us to do today. Can we just have two more minutes of history? Is that all right? 
And we'll just bring this to a close. Calv, why don't you come? Because then the keyboard makes me finish quicker because I want to worship. The Ecclesia is birthed in Acts chapter 2. And it's released and as a result, cities are one. 5,000 people are coming to, to Christ in one day. Miracles are happening. It's incredible. The culture has changed. If Jesus used the word church to Peter, would have been interesting to see what he would have thought Jesus was talking about. Fast forward a little while longer and the church is under extreme persecution. If you know church history, it's horrific what happened to the early church, but the early church continued to thrive. The early church continued to grow and blossom. It didn't grow in the context of Kiriakon Doma, it grew in the context of Ecclesia. The church is under persecution, but in 325 AD, Constantine has this amazing revelation. Don't have time to get into it. He has a vision of Jesus and he paints a cross on a shield and he wins of all his soldiers and he wins a victory. And he declares in the year 325 AD, Christianity to be the religion of the day. It goes from being persecuted from our forefathers being burnt alive at stake at the stake to light up the garden of the emperor to being legalized and becoming the national religion. And for over a thousand years, only the wealthy that were well educated had access to the scriptures. It's argued that the moment, and this isn't me saying it, so don't send me an email. It's argued that at the moment Christianity was legalised, that's the day that it began to die. Isn't that a challenging thought? It's about 350 AD when we start to see church buildings being built. And at that time, the word church is used over the word, the word church over the word ecclesia is being used. In 1525, have you heard of a guy by the name of William Tyndale? Tyndale's. He translated the Bible for the first time into English and he's going to do so for the people. And he translates the word as Christ, he translates the word ecclesia, not as the word church. He translates it as the word Christ's congregation or Christ's people. And in doing so, he's trying to move the power away from the institution and give it to the people. He's trying to rebirth the concept of ecclesia. 10 years later, 11 years later in 1536, they try to have Tyndale change Matthew. This is all his, this is, you, I found this on the internet. It's amazing. They tried to have Tyndale change his translation of ecclesia from Christ's congregation to the word church and good old Tyndale refused. But as a result, he was burnt at the stake. King Henry VIII rises up and he takes 
And he has a clash with the Roman Catholic Church. He, why? Because he wants to divorce his wife. He's over that wife. He needs a better model or whatever the case would be. I'm not sure. And so he wants a divorce and the church can't give him one because that's the bylaws. And so what does he do instead? He goes, cool, I'm going to start my own church. And he starts a church and that church is called the Church of England. And, and so he starts his own church in 1534 called the Church of England. And there's war, there's a whole lot, of ha- whole lot happening in church history in the 1500s. In 1604, the king decides that he wants to have his own translation of the Bible the King James Version of the Bible. And he sets out 15 rules by which the original text, Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, must be translated. He he sets out 15 rules. Most of those rules were really good, sound theological rules in interpreting the text from one language into another. But if you read it, it's all on the internet, go prove it. Article 3 of this says this, the old ecclesiastical words to be kept, the word church not to be translated congregation. And so this is one of the reasons why today we sit here with our Bibles reading the word church that has an anchor in it towards a building a place because the devil is hell bent. There's been a fight over this word for thousands of years because he wants you as a church attending Christian to think that the power is in this room. Ah, feel it right now. But the power is not in this room. <laughs> The power of all the fullness of the Spirit of God, hear my words today, lives and dwells inside of... Come on, did you hear that today? You've been lied to and the fight between a religious spirit and walking in the freedom of Jesus has been won for generations. We are just living in a new expression of the same battle that says the church, something's power, something's more special about the preacher, something's more special about the room, something's more special about this section of carpet up the front. But God wants you to know today that the church is not a building. The church, the ecclesia, somebody help me preach right now. The ecclesia is filled with the glory and the power of God. And that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. That same Spirit, that same Spirit, that same Spirit is not in a building that is made by hands. That same Spirit is inside of you because you are, this building is not fearfully and wonderfully made but friend you are made in the image of God you are a bearer of the image of God you have the power of God inside of you (laughs) 
So the church is not a building, friends. This is what I'm trying to help you to see. The church, the ecclesia, why don't we stand? Not leave Coralie and Alicia on their own. It's not a service. This is gonna bring about a divine activation in our church community. I believe it with all my heart, I prophesy it today. The church is not a place, it's a person. And therefore the church is not an activity, but it's an identity. The church is where heaven meets earth, but the church is not a building. The church is a temple. The church is not a building made by man's hands, but it is a temple made by God Himself. And friend, today, the case that I wanted to present to you today, the truth that I wanted to bring before you today is this idea that you are the ecclesia, that we are the ecclesia. And when you live out of this revelation, you have, you live differently, you approach life differently. You're not waiting on some special man of God to lay hands on you because he's got something special. You realise that the fullness of heaven is inside of you. And students, you're able to look at your school, not as just a place for study, but you're able to view your school as a sanctuary for the presence of God, all simply because you are there and God is with you. And all my cafe crawlers out there that love sipping lattes, you're able to turn cafe, cafe tables into cathedrals that are filled with the glory of God. When you're the church and you see your identity, something powerful changes. Come on, can we raise our hands just in response, in faith to this message? Father, we thank You. We glorify Your Name. Come on, just lift the sound of faith right now. Begin to pray. As the church, come on, You have power. Matt, I've been through hell this week. I know some of you have. I know some of you really have. You've lost ones this week. I know you've been through some tough times. You lost a job this week. I know you've been depressed this week. I know you've gone through a lot this week. But come on, the Holy Ghost is inside of you. The Holy Spirit is within you. He is with you. He is closer than a brother. He is closer than the very air that you are inhaling right now. He is closer than that, closer than the blood that streams through your veins. He's got you. Just begin to call on the Name of Jesus. We thank You, Father, that there is power in Your Name. We thank You, Lord, that as the church, Father, we move in realms of power. We thank You, Jesus. We thank You, Lord. And we bless Your Name. We bless Your Name. We bless the wonderful Name of Jesus. Thank You, Lord. Mm. Wonderful Jesus. So good. So good. Come on, He wants to heal bodies right now. He wants to heal someone's body right now. Father, I thank You. Lower backs are being healed right now in the Name of Jesus. Praise You, Lord. Praise You, Lord. Praise You, Lord. Praise You, Jesus. 
praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Just bless you, Father. You're so good. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. So the question, you know, often we we finish with an opportunity to respond and we worship and it spills out and we do all that. I want to do something different today. What I want to do today is I want to I want to leave you deep in thought with that question. What does it, what does it mean for me now that I know that I'm the church? And what did he say about the church? Listen to his Jesus's words. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. And I want the weight of those words and more more importantly I want the weight of that understanding and revelation to sit deep in your soul this week I want you to set a reminder on your phone hey Siri remind me every morning this week that I'm the church oh (laughs) someone Siri heard the voice When do you want to be reminded of that? Too good. Let's try that again. Hey, Siri. Oh, just come on, Tanya. I want you to live. I want you to sit with the weight of those words because we can come in here week in, week out. We will. We have Jesus nights where we press into God and we worship for hours. But come on, somebody. I'm not up just for having good meetings that produce no change in our world. We are just continuing to entertain religion. We just want a good experience. But what God is wanting to do is God's wanting to raise up the next Tyndale. God's wanting to raise up the next Wigglesworth. God's wanting to raise up the next Peter and Paul. God's wanting to raise up the next person that will bear His image in the earth and release His glory and see miracles. Cool, there's a new season of miracles coming on you, sir. Would you lift your hands right now? There's a new season of miracles coming on you right now. There's gonna be released every time you preach. There's, a, there's miracles that are just gonna flow. We just thank you for that. If you're around him, would you just put a hand on cool right now? Cool, it's gonna get better, man. That's what I hear the Lord saying. Don't grow weary in, in doing good, but keep pressing in. We just declare, we thank You for the anointing that's on call. We honour it right now. And we give You praise for Him and for His life, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. i got to stop because I just keep going. God bless you. Take that Word. Let Siri remind you of it. She can be helpful. Enjoy coffee. Thank you so much for coming today. Or you can give out in the foyer if you need to or give online. Register for the women's event. Hang around. Youth's on at 12.30, just down the hallway. So um, we'd love to see you there. God bless you all. Thanks so much.